0: Good morning, Hope Church. Thanks for joining us online. Again, as I've done the last few weeks, I want to invite you to come back uh, to church. Uh, I understand that some uh, more of us are being vaccinated, which is a good thing. And so I ask for you to come back as soon as you're able and not to let just the convenience of at-home worship be how you think church works. Church means gathering. So gather with your brothers and sisters. And just to even plug, as, as the call to worship announcements would have just said uh, just before uh, the, the, the recording this morning is that we are beginning, not only is Holy Week coming up where there's events to gather for, including a Good Friday service but, and Easter, but the Sunday after Easter, our growth hour kicks in uh, for, for all ages, adults and kids. Registration is online for you to do that, so please do that. We are continuing in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, the sermon today is entitled Qualifications for deacons. And and, and literally, the the, the text we've been in, in the first 13 verses of 1 Timothy 3, lay out a discussion of the two offices in the church, the office of Pastor Elder, which we explored last week, and the office of deacon, uh, which we'll look at this particular Sunday. Let me just pray as we jump in. Father, thanks for your word, which, which each week ministers to us, guides us, and help us again this Sunday to grow up into its truth, and to see the way it impacts our lives. Help us, Father, to be faithful and to be fruitful for the sake of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you'll notice if if, if you listened or even are looking at the text in your Bibles, in the ESV, in the Bibles that we have in the church, it's on page 992, 1 Timothy 3, you'll notice that the list in verses 8 through 13 looks similar to what we saw with the list for pastors and elders. In fact, it even starts out with deacons, verse 8, likewise must be. Again, notice it's very similar to what you saw with the pastor elders, that here Paul is giving Pastor Timothy and his church, and therefore God is giving all of us, these descriptions of the qualifications of a deacon. Now, Interestingly, these should be understood as being inner office memo summaries, not lengthy job descriptions. These are terse descriptions. They're abbreviated. They're representative, things we talked about last week, but that doesn't mean they're random. They reflect, even if it's just in a one or two word summary, a quality and a depth that should be in and characterized in the life and the ministry potential of someone for this office. Well, the first thing I want to talk about is just a contrast, a difference, meaning the office of deacon is different than the office of pastor elder in a few notable ways. If you, if you remember the kind of one word summary that I gave you, if the office of pastor elder deals with the soul, the office of deacon deals with the body. Or, or, or think of it this way the pastor elder deals with the spiritual need, the oversight spiritual needs of the church. Think word and prayer, Acts 6. The office of deacon deals with the physical needs of the body, Really, the rest of that ministerial concern. Let me me talk about some of the differences between these two offices. First, a deacon is not required to teach the church, whereas that's a primary duty of the pastor elder. So that teaching is not mentioned at all in these list of qualifications. Uh, That doesn't mean doctrine isn't important. You'll notice specifically that doctrine is mentioned, or at least in verse nine, we'll talk about understanding the f- faith, a clear understanding of the gospel is important, but they don't necessarily have to have a grasp of the Bible to be able to be teaching it as the office of pastor elder requires. Here's a second difference. A deacon is not required to lead the church, whereas that was a primary duty of the pastor elder. A deacon is serving. They aren't in that office of leading. Here's a third difference, and a significant one. The office of deacon has no gender qualification at all. In fact, this office is is rightly to be filled by both men and women. In fact, you could almost say that in every local church, it is required that deacons are male and female, the plurality of humanity that we've talked about before. Uh, Last difference, a deacon supports the church in its ministry needs It does not oversee the church. In fact, even the the way that the ESV translates what what I just keep saying is pastor-elder, which is probably the more general term used throughout the Bible for that office. Overseer, right, is one who oversees. There's a leadership position, a headship language, whereas deacon literally means, from that Greek word diakonos, it means servant, right? So literally the word pastor-elder means to oversee, And the word deacon means to serve, and you can see the distinction between the two. If I were to define deacon, though, at least as it's used in the Bible, or primarily the New Testament, uh, uh, deacon is used in the Bible for Christians who perform a variety of services or ministries in the church. Like I think we, we need to immediately think differently than how probably most churches do it. Our church could be an example. We 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 have the office of deacon, at least in the language that we use, broken up into two categories. One that's kind of prim, uh, one aspect that's primarily filled by men, which we call the trustee board, uh, and they deal with the physical structure, repairs, uh, moving of chairs, f- facility issues. And then we have another board, literally from the word deacon, the diaconate, which is which is all, all women who deal with a lot of the the ministry care, cooking meals, funeral preparation, service as well. Now, both of those are rightly office of deacon. But I wonder if, if we look at how the Bible uses the term, that it's broader than those two things. In a very real sense, any Christian who serves in the church is functioning under the office of deacon. Any, Any Christian ministry in the church that isn't pastor elder, is under the office of deacon. So we'll talk about somebody at the end of the sermon this morning, but literally that would be anybody. You're serving in wana. You're, you're, you're helping out with the youth group. You're involved in men's and women's ministry. Uh, so ministry things, not just facility building, all the care, visitation team, et cetera, all of them probably are best to be understood as under the office of deacon, which is why, number one, it's required that it's Male and female, all people should be involved in this. But it also is significant that we actually have qualifications for that. That there are qualifications. Any Christian who serves in the church needs to fulfill these qualifications. So don't think of the deacons as... If, if the elders, pastor elders are soul and the deacons are the body, don't think of the body like cooking or mowing. But think of the body as the body of Christ. All the ministries in the church except those done by the office of pastor elder. Again, the pastor and elder is equipping the saints for ministry, and those ministering saints are under the rubric of the office of deacon, minister, serving, ministering in the church. This is why, brothers and sisters, and we've plugged this before, but this is a great text, even, even in an expository handling of it, it's a great text to talk about the importance of church membership. Church membership not only verifies belief and character. It it verifies these qualifications for service, but it also provides a support and an authority over the person for the sake of empowering and continuing their ministry. So this is why if you are serving in the church or want to serve in the church, membership is the logical biblical expression of that for the sake of being connected, being known, and being part of the offices of the church, whether you become A pastor elder in that office and serve, or you serve in the office of deacon. But if you're serving in the church in any of these ministering ways, the biblical logic and the safety for our own congregation is that you'd be a member. And just, just plugging that to see why when we offer a membership class or we exhort membership, it's actually connected to how the church works and how people are ministered and how we know that the people serving in a various ministry with our kids or with our senior saints or with men's or women's ministry or ushering or greetering or something with treasures or one of the other boards, we know that they meet the qualifications that God has commanded us to acknowledge. Now, when we look at these verses in particular, specifically verses 8 through 12, you'll see this that God has given the church 10 characteristics of a person serving in the office of deacon. And I'm just going to go through those, hitting them each one, but briefly. The first is this that the deacons must be dignified. That word means worthy of respect, they should live and relate to people in a way that reflects Christian character. Again, remember, these are abbreviated and representative. They're terse descriptions. But there's enough there for us to understand in a sense that somebody who is respectable, that reflects Christian character. We're not talking sinless perfection. We're not saying that only Jesus could fill this office. We're simply saying people who are growing in their faith, committing themselves in obedience to their Lord Jesus Christ, and they reflect that in their lives. Here's the second one. The ESV says not double-tongued, which is like the, literally what the Greek is saying, so that's a good translation, but, but maybe that's a tougher one for us to, to understand. So, so maybe the best understanding of that would be not a gossip, that they must speak truth and be sincere. And, and think of it this way. When you're ministering with people, you learn about their lives. You continue, you're exposed to their brokenness. You get to see areas where they struggle. And it would be tempting for an unhealthy, immature person to use that to their advantage or to revel in and sharing. And gossip is a horrific disease in churches. And our church is not in any way immune from that. In fact, personally, I would say that that's an area that our church needs to grow. So notice that qualification. If there is somebody who is dealing with being double-tongued, being a gossip that, that would be a disqualifier for having a fruitful and faithful role in ministry in a local church. Third qualification, they're not addicted to wine. Again, this, some of these you'll find overlap with the office of pastor or elder. Again, the Bible talks about how committed and responsible Christians must live out the gospel and avoid substance abuse. It just must be the case. If somebody's dealing with that, their ministry needs to be to their own body getting healed and clean before they can minister to the body of Christ. Here's the fourth qualification, not greedy for dishonest gain. Meaning the Bible is condemning greed, which really it condemns of all Christians, but especially those serving. If you're going to serve others, you must be generous, not selfish. You must give, not be seeking to take. So there must be a a sense that they're able to separate and be full of generosity and hospitality in every way. Here's a fifth qualification. The ESV says it this way. This is the beginning of verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And I summarize that in this way. They must understand the gospel clearly. Notice they're not being asked to teach the gospel. They're not being asked to teach the theology of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, they are simply being able to ask to understand the gospel, meaning that that the church can confirm that they are a believer for the purpose of ministry. The the phrase mystery of the faith is literally, mean not mystery like we don't understand it, mystery means something like the deep truths of the faith. So so put that into verse 9 and reread it. They must hold the deep truths truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Again, they don't have to be expert in all the details. They don't need to know the three views on on this passage or uh, what exactly this phrase means. But the core tenets of the gospel, clear orthodox historic Christianity, They must know those. Again, as a church, we went through the New City Catechism. Our fourth and fifth grade class goes through the New City Catechism. We're teaching growth hour classes so that people can understand the the deep truths. They don't have to be experts in Old Testament theology, but they should know the deep truths. The the nature of the resurrection, the personal work of Jesus Christ, the authority of Scripture. Uh, Those kind of deep truths, clear Orthodox truths, should be known. They understand the gospel, they, they live and serve in light of the gospel and in obedience to Scripture's teachings. I think that's what the phrase with a clear conscience means. Like they literally know the truth and they seek to live by it. They're obedient Christians. Here's the sixth qualification, that they're tested and proven. And this is coming from verse 10. Uh, Paul says, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless." Don't hear blameless as in sinless, meaning that they've proven true. They're faithful. Again, the the language of verse 10 is primarily saying they must not be new converts. If I could plug it again, this is one of the many texts in Scripture that is implicitly pointing to the role of church membership. First tested, then proven. The process of church membership goes through that, and that's encouraging for us. Verse 11 is where we actually get to the language that talks about gender. Now, the ESV says something that I think is easily misunderstood. Verse 11 says this, Their wives likewise must be, and some qualifications are given. Now, that might just be read on the surface as they're simply talking, assuming that deacons are men, and that their wives must also be reflecting that character. Now, here's a couple things to note. The word there, I love the ESV, but every, you know there's always room for wrestling with the best way to translate things, and I'm glad we use the ESV, but I would have translated this verse different. The word there in the Greek is not there, if I could say it that way. It just says something like, wives likely must be. But here's the thing. The same Greek word that can be translated wives can also be translated women, Meaning the only way you know how to translate that word is by context. It's not like they're two separate words. The same word, gune, can mean wife or it can mean woman. So if it's wives, which it could be, but the context seems to be speaking in numerous categories of roles that involve all the people. If you translate as women, it would be translated like this. Verse 11, Women, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. The sense is this, whether women serve separately, or which I think this text is ultimately saying, or even if the text is saying that they share in ministry with their husbands, this verse is clearly revealing that the office of deacon requires both genders. Like it, it Clearly, the, the assumption is, is that even if you argue the translation should be wives, even if you argue that, the assumption is that this is a ministry that families are doing together, couples are doing together. They're all needed, and they have qualifications, specific. If anything, I wonder if those qualifications in verse 11, as we'll talk about in a second, are referring to specific things arguably evidenced in the culture by other women that Paul is saying. Sisters, let this not be of you as you serve in the office of deacon. And that's the eighth qualification, the end of verse 11. Not only does the beginning of verse 11 say that male and female are part of this office, but the eighth qualification is that they must be ethical and moral. That's what those phrases I'm summarizing them to mean. They must be dignified. They must not be slanders. They must be sober-minded and faithful in all things. These are specific traits, likely challenging cultural practices that lack Christian character. The ninth statement, is the ninth qualification is this, that they must be faithful to the covenant of marriage. It might seem like the text is turning back to men, but it also might just be an, an expression, an idiom, talking about faithfulness to the covenant of marriage, which I think is what is in view. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, or that is, faithful to the covenant of marriage. I don't think this is necessarily speaking only to men. I think this is all speaking to women. I certainly don't think this is only speaking to married people. This is saying that they must be faithful to the covenant of marriage. A single person can be just as faithful and take seriously the covenant of marriage as can second married. The point is, is that that must be reflected in the way they live. Finally, the last qualification, the tenth one, Again, at the end of verse 12, it says, Managing their children and their households well. If the ninth is that they must be faithful to the covenant of marriage, the tenth is that they must be faithful to their family. Proper care for one's own house shows one can serve in the house of God. You might even want us to think about this as as a church, of how important Uh, the family is in ministry. You may have small kids or teenage kids, but your kids can already, and to be honest with you, should already be serving with the family in various ways. If you're being hospitable, your your home, your kids are part of that. If you're having people over for meals and fellowship and your kids are part of that. If you're serving brothers and sisters of Christ in organic ways and they're doing yards or something at their house or in institutional ways by ministering here at the church, your kids can be part of that. There's no reason that you and with approval one of your older kids couldn't help watching in the nursery on an Easter Sunday morning or serving during the growth hour in a certain capacity or one of the services on each side of the growth hour, watching other younger kids. I mean, those are things the entire family can do. And I wonder if, rather than just kind of serving our kids, but including them in ministry, we don't set them up right to have their own lively understanding of the gospel and of the church and the Christian life once they become independent adults. I think this text alludes to that in several ways. Last verse, verse 13, after giving the qualifications, the apostle Paul ends with one more exhortation of sorts. I summarize it by saying this, that the ministry of deacons offers a blessing to both church and the person who serves. Paul says this, for those who serve well as deacons, here's his exhortation, they gain first a good standing for themselves and also second, great confidence in the faith. That is, when it's working well, That this love for one another, this family environment, when there's a faithful deacon, they will be recognized by others for allowing God to work through them. They are a blessing to others, and it is acknowledged. People see the gift. So many times I have seen with my own eyes and tried to thank people for the ways that they are impacting lives. And in a church like ours, that often happens In in less than public settings, in someone's home, fixing a faucet or a garage door, in the church, working on something behind the scenes uh, during the week when a service isn't running, or just meeting with people, discipling people, that a whole congregation will know about that, but individuals will know about that, even this morning in conversation with several different people about connecting with others to reach out and extend to them and disciple and to care for them. People are doing that in this church all the time. And while we don't, on a Sunday morning, always get the chance to recognize that, in due course, a faithful servant like that is recognized as one who has loved others by their love of God. The second benefit is more personal. A deacon, as Paul says, gains great confidence in the faith. That is, they get their own confirmation of the work of God in them. It is not only that they get to bless others, they realize in the process that they have been blessed by God. Let me end with some final thoughts, kind of like I did with the office of Pastor Elder. Let me give you some final thoughts for the office of Deacon. First, Understand the ministry performed by deacons. I started the sermon 20-ish minutes ago wanting to set the framework. Don't think of if the elders, pastor elders do the soul and the deacons do the body. Don't just think of mowing and, and cooking. Think of all the ministries, all the people connections, all the aspects of children, senior saints, men's and women's ministries, a WAN, a VBS, all of those ministries as part of the office of deacons. If the elders are assigned to word and prayer, Act 6, deacons engage in the rest of the church's ministry. And in the notes, I even list some following, some six areas. Think of facilities responsible for managing the church property, building, grounds, tech. The brothers and sisters that serve and help with the tech every Sunday in different venues during COVID are, are serving the Lord faithfully, for which we should be thanking them. Benevolence and care, that there are people responsible for the care needs of the congregation, visitation, widows, meals, funeral support, really a lot of what our diaconate, were. those first two hit, hit well on what the trustees do, facilities, and what our diaconate does, benevolence and care. But that can be done not just by men or women, but by both In in, in institutional ways where a Katie Rudy may contact somebody about a visitation team or hooking somebody up with a connection, but it can also happen organically where you, under the rubric of this office, are loving on people. That's ministry. A third area would be finances and logistics, people responsible for the financial or organizational business of the church. A fourth would be ushers, greeters, security, valet, people responsible for the tasks surrounding Corporate worship and ministry on Sunday mornings. Che- helping with check-in, all of that is of is the office of deacon. H- how about just general ministry? People responsible for serving minis- and ministering in essential areas of the church, like some I've men- mentioned. Men's and women's ministry, VBS, Awana, senior saints, youth, children, some of you volunteer for once in a while for these things, others of you are weekly serving in these capacities. Brothers and sisters, you are serving under the office of deacon for which God has established for the good of this church. The last, and I think this could even be missed, is that I think staff positions, staff positions that are non-pastor elder would be ministries under the office of deacon. And again, therefore, seeing that those qualifications of their life and their character should be reflected. Understanding those roles, let me end with two final, last final thoughts. First, I'd say pray for and honor your deacons. Now, that would be a huge list of people compared to the office of pastor elder. But note that the office of deacon is established by God for a sacred service and responsibility. Just note that. They serve you sacrificially. They're offering you the service of Christ with their work. And when you're able, a note, just a word of thanks, just a praise to God the Father for the gifts and the sacrifice of people, in your church family, do so. And let them know as well. Pray for them. Let them know you're praying for them. Encourage the people that week after week in light of COVID or caring for issues in the building or with the tech, let the staff know who work diligently and have worked above and beyond in regard to the needs of COVID, what they're doing. They are serving you sacrificially. Don't be afraid to write a note and let them know what, they've, what they're doing. Last thought, as if any of you men and women aspire to be a deacon, let this text direct your aspirations. It is a necessary and worthy task. It's a sacred and important ministry that touches every corner of the church. Again, but remember, don't think posh appointment. Think working and serving. Picture men and women who seek to care for the body of Christ, not only in word, but in deed. Those are the deacons, the office of deacon as represented in this church. It might have lots of different titles, not just trustee and diaconate, but every ministry really fits under this office. that's, That's the goal, that we would be a church that would align with God's structure, see his beautiful design and follow through with that. Let me encourage you after going through these texts that if you have not found a way to plug in to serve, and even related to that, if you have not joined our church as church membership, as as, as God's Word clearly implicates in texts like this and others, think about those things. If you want to meet and talk about it, email me. Uh, call me. Let's talk about it. Sit down with somebody else. Sit down with another church member or a pastor, elder, a staff member you know. Have this conversation, especially in light of COVID. It'd be a wonderful time for you to hear God's Word, submit to it, and plug back into his church in a, in a right way. Let's pray. Father, thanks for teaching us this morning from your word, and I pray that the ministry of your spirit would guide and direct what these words say, that, would, that we would be a church full of officers in the office of Pastor Elder and in the office of Deacon that are faithfully and fruitfully serving you and thereby serving one another and our community. Be with uh, my brothers and sisters now. Keep them safe this week. Bring them back to us soon, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.